reading is from John 1, verses 10 to 18. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray together? Father, we just pray that this morning you would reveal yourself more to us. That we would leave this time of worship, this time of thinking about your word, we would leave it knowing you better than when we arrived. Lord, we just pray that you'd shape our hearts and our minds to love and worship you more fully this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning, Happy New Year. Uh, Let me add my welcome to you if you're watching at home as well. Uh, It's great to be together and worshipping in this new year. Uh, As Paul said, fingers crossed, it goes a bit better. Sorry, we don't do fingers crossed, we're Christian, aren't we? Anyway, um, if I haven't, some people do. If I haven't met you before, my name is Aidan and I'm the curate here at Christchurch. Now, I don't know about you, but one thing I love about uh, Christmas and the season of Christmas, and the one thing I love about the Bible is that every time I read the familiar stories of Christmas, I get something new out of it. Every year, it seems something kind of speaks to me in a way that it didn't do beforehand. Over this December, I spent a lot of time reading Matthew and Luke's uh, retelling of the gospel story, um, because that's what Matthew, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke especially are. They are the retelling of Jesus' life, his death, and his ministry, and his resurrection. And there's quite a lot of crossover between those three Gospels, but it's also really interesting to kind of look at what they do include, what they don't include, and you can have a whole whole time of that, and that's what I've got to do this December. But then to prepare for Christmas Eve, and to prepare for this morning, I turn to John. And John is a bit different to the other three. Yes, it recounts the story of Jesus' life, but it's actually far more theological and it's got a different slant, a different purpose. For example, rather than starting with the nativity story like Matthew and Luke do, John starts, in the beginning was the word. Very theological statement. This whole chapter uh, and this part of the passage that John has read to us is a theology of who Jesus is, who Jesus was and who Jesus always will be. 
So I thought this morning we'd do some theology together. Now, when anyone trains for ordination, um, you kind of you get this privilege of going to a, to a college or somewhere to train. Uh, you get some theological training, and, you, and many of you will know that I went to Trinity College in, just by the Downs in Bristol, and my wife is training for ordination there at the moment. Uh, and it's a, it's a massive privilege, but I remember sitting in a lecture there in my first term thinking, you know, it's crazy that I've had to come to university, essentially, to study this stuff. Surely every Christian should get the opportunity to learn this stuff and kind of do this thinking and talk about God in the way we were talking about. So this morning, I thought we'd do some of that, some theology, some, some studying of God, because that's what theology means. Theos, God, logos, knowledge, word. So it just means, what is God like? It might be a scary term for some, but it simply means, what is God like? So to get our brains thinking, uh, maybe if you're with someone, maybe turn to your neighbor. Uh, if you're on your own, don't worry, just have a think where you are and sit and maybe you want to scribble stuff down on your phone or write it down if you've got a pen and paper or just remember it up in the old noggin. But three questions just to kind of get our, our brains working. One, how do we know what God is like? Two, what is God like? And three, why is this important? Now, you don't have to do all three of them. Maybe pick one of those three questions and have a think, have about a chat about them. We've got two minutes. I'm sure you can cover it all in that time. Off you go. perhaps realise that this probably would have worked better before social distancing because you're probably all sat there thinking well I don't want to say the wrong thing out loud and everyone hear me but it's okay hopefully just that little kind of asking those questions hopefully that would have got us thinking and where I go now and where I talk about these questions hopefully you'll have already done most of the legwork so question one how do we know what God is like well the good evangelical the right answer seemingly is to say the, the Bible we know what God is like because we have the Bible. Now, whilst that is kind of correct, it's, I don't think it's actually quite that simple. And actually, it's not my preferred answer. Verse 18 of that passage that John, read, John has read us, read us was, uh, it's, it's my preferred answer. It guides us. Uh, the NIV that we had read said, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Okay? Now, there is some ambiguity as to the middle bit of that passage. Uh, different translations will translate it differently. But the beginning and the end are very clear. No one has ever seen God, but Jesus has made him known. Jesus has made God known, has made God known to us because he is God in human form. Jesus, as Paul wrote in Colossians, is the visible image of the invisible God. Uh, 
So yes, if we want to know what God is like, we look at the Bible. But the Bible tells us what God is like in as much as it reveals Jesus to us. Now this might sound insignificant, but I know a lot of Christians who kind of value the Bible so highly, they kind of lose or devalue the Jesus that the Bible points to. It's really important to remember that we don't worship the Bible, we worship Jesus of the Bible. Jesus who gives life to the words in the Bible. Jesus who meets us as we read the Bible. So we know what God is like by looking at Jesus. So by looking at Jesus, we can answer our second question, which is what is God's like? What is God's nature? What is, what, what's, he, what's, what's his being? And I'm sure you would have thought of some of these things, but God is creator because Jesus is creator. John 1 verse 3 says that through Jesus all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. God is full of grace and truth because Jesus is full of grace and truth. Verse 14 said, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. God is compassionate. How do we know that God is compassionate? Well, Jesus is compassionate. We see him showing his compassion at Lazarus's tomb in John 11. And I could go on, on and on. God is loving because Jesus is loving. God is merciful and forgiving because Jesus is merciful, forgiving, and so on and so forth. But ultimately, we know what Jesus is like and we know what God is like by looking at the cross. As we look at Jesus, we find that God is the kind of God who would go to the cross. What God is like is one who would give up everything out of love for the other. Because Jesus is the one who did not consider kind of his high status, his equality, his nature as God as something to hold on to, but instead he gave that up. He became human, he lived, he died, he rose again and he ascended, all to ensure that people like you and me can know freedom from sin. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what Jesus is like, the best place to look is the cross. Amen? Amen. So, for the rest of our time, I want us to think about our third question. Why is this important? Why does it matter? Why does it matter that we kind of ask these questions and explore, you know, what God is like and how do we know what he's like and all those kind of things? And I've got three answers, and those of you who are fans of three-point sermons will recognize that I've put them all beginning with the first letter, just about. But they're not in any specific order, but the first thing is that it guards against false teaching. And it's really important to know that the Christian faith is not to be blindly accepted, that's actually quite dangerous. Fundamentalism, just accepting things as they are and not, and not having ever questioning them is quite a dangerous thing. And the Bible is very clear about false teaching and how we should be careful to avoid it. And it's really important that we keep our Bible teachers, those who come and speak up here, uh, myself, Joe, Paul, anyone, it's really important that we keep them accountable. And it's really important, so please do keep me accountable. If you disagree with stuff, I'd love to hear it. And we'll, we can wrestle with this together. Second point is God commands it. It's part of the first and most important commandment. Jesus says the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. 
And if we're to love God with all our mind, it means we all, not just those of us who kind of get to go to a theological college potentially, those of us who speak on a microphone, we all can use our minds more in how we worship. And I believe categorically that we can all use our minds more in our worship of God. Because in my experience, the more I ponder God, the more I think about things, the more I question things, it's like I come out more at the end worshipping God even more. Even when I think about some tricky questions that I don't know the answer to straight away and maybe I get confused along the way, I've always come out worshipping God more wholly at the end because it feels like I know God better because of it and I feel I'm able to worship him more. Asking questions and thinking about who God is was something that was really important for the Old Testament people of Israel. In Psalm 1, it starts the book of Psalms, this kind of worship book. It starts by saying, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates, who meditates on his law day and night. And that word meditates is, is not kind of a Buddhist meditation where you sit in silence necessarily. The Hebrew word is hagar which uh, is, it kind of includes kind of talking about, discussing things. You know, if we were to sit down, uh, you know, around a bonfire and chat about God and maybe wrestle with something that we're struggling with, that would be hagaing. That would be meditating in, a, in, a, in an Old Testament sense. And as, as I said, it's really important for us to do this and try and apply our minds in our worship of God. Now, for some of us, that will, may take us down an academic route. We may want to read some books, maybe listen to what other Christians have said throughout the centuries on a topic. And that's, if that's you, that's great. But for some of us, actually, that isn't how God is calling us to love God, him with our minds. Actually, for us, it might look like having a catch-up with a friend over Zoom or going for a walk or something and just deliberately and intentionally talking about God. Talking about the Bible, maybe reading the Bible together. You know, at church, we obviously have our small groups. Um, we have many small groups still meeting here over Zoom and various ways, and we're, we're trying to facilitate as many of them keeping going as possible. And often these are the best places to hagar, to meditate together, to, to discuss God and the Bible. And if you're not part of one, maybe you're watching at home and you're not part of one, uh, maybe make 2021 the year that you kind of join or rejoin a small group. Uh, just as a really good place to love the Lord God with our minds more. And chat to myself or Anita or Paul or anyone, um, we can try and make that happen. Finally, the reason why it's important for us to do this is that it's good for mission. It is really good for our mission, our outreach, our evangelism. Because I truly believe that in 2021, the world needs a thinking church. If 2020 taught us anything, is that life can be unpredictable. And many non-Christians, many people on our front lines, will be asking questions about the meaning of life and, and everything that kind of goes along with that. Now, if we're a church that loves God with our heart, our soul, and our strength, then that would be amazing. But when people come searching for answers, what they'll find is a really well-meaning, fully committed bunch of social justice warriors who don't really know why we're doing what we're doing. 1 Peter 3.15 is an amazing verse. It says that we should always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. 
Now, this doesn't mean we need to be ready to debate Richard Dawkins, uh, you know, and talk about that kind of stuff. It doesn't mean we have to be super academic. But it does mean we are called to think about why we worship God, why we love him. Why is he deserving of our worship? Because he is deserving of our worship. It means we need to be a church who hagars at times, who thinks about why we have a reason for the hope that we have. And as I said before, the more we do this, the more we'll be able to worship him more fully in other aspects anyway. Now, next week, we have Archdeacon Christopher coming, uh, and in our service, we're going to celebrate Epiphany. But after that, actually, we're going to do a series uh, which we're calling Honest Questions. Honest Questions. Many of us will have questions uh, that we want to maybe kind of lay at the feet of God. Things about last year that we just don't understand why they happened, and all those kind of, kind of issues. And we're going to be wrestling with a bunch of questions that, that many of us may be asking. Now, before Christmas, uh, Anita, Ian, and myself, we met up and we, had a, uh, we met up virtually and had a, uh, we recorded a podcast together where we asked the emotive question, where are you, Lord, in COVID? Where are you, Lord? And the hope of our preaching series is to kind of do similar kind of things to that, to meditate on God's word together so that we can worship God more fully and so that we may be able to give a better reason uh, or to give reason more fully for the hope that we have in our worship and in our evangelism. So, as I finish, I just want us to think about, just imagine, what would it look like if we were a church who loved God more with our minds? Imagine what it would look like if you loved God more with your mind. Whatever our age, background, life stage, in a world that is seeking hope, the church together on our front lines will be better equipped to point to a reason for hope, to point to Jesus. And G- John finishes the penultimate chapter of his book, his big theological telling of Jesus' life, by saying this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, everything John wrote was designed to, find, to help others find their hope in Jesus. As we love God with our minds, we are preparing ourselves to help others likewise find life in the source of all goodness, of all joy, of all love, and of all hope. Should we pray together? Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that as we look at you, as we look at your son, we can know all things. We can know everything about the meaning of life. We can find meaning and hope. Lord, I pray that this morning and this week we would Spend time thinking about the nature of you, (laughs) of your amazing work, of your gospel. We would look at the cross and wonder how amazing you are, how loving you are, how selfless you are. And Lord, I pray that as we worship you with our minds, 
we may be equipped to share you with others. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.